0: Morning, everyone. The reading today is from Matthew chapter 7, uh, verse 1. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Verse 9. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets.
1: Good morning. My name's Stephen. I'm one of the ministers here, if I haven't met you before. Have you ever been to a university club stay? I've been to a fair few in my time. When I was a student, but also because I worked for a university, I got along to quite a few. If you've never been to one, basically all the clubs have a table and they compete to try and sign up as many people as they can to their club. And usually as you walk around, either on an oval or in the in the hall or something, there's unbelievable variety from, you know, the kind of standard clubs like AFL or martial arts or even homebrew or that sort of thing, to the kind of completely random things like the one that sticks in my memory is underwater hockey. There's a picture of it here. <laughs> I had to look it up because I didn't really know what it, what it is. I'm not sure if I've missed something, but... It's not really a mainstream sport from what I've seen. Now, it's probably just my imagination going overboard, pardon the pun, but underwater hockey, it sounds partly fun and partly terrifying to me. You know, I'm imagining imagining flippers thrashing, hockey sticks flailing underwater, and speedos, well, I don't really want to imagine that bit. Now, don't get me wrong. It's not that I've got a problem with underwater hockey, I don't. It's just not for me. Now I think that's how some people feel about Christianity. They half like the idea of it. They half don't like the idea of it. And it's not that they've got a problem with it. It's just not for them. Maybe that's how you even feel about Christianity. Now those of us who go to church here wanted to know what our community really thinks of Christianity. So we asked our friends what they think is the problem with Christianity and the third most common response was pretty much like this there is no problem with Christianity but it's just not for me so these are some of the replies that that some people gave so someone said nothing's wrong with Christianity so long as Christians are kind to people someone else said there's no problem Christianity is a good influence and another person said and, and this kind of captures it I have no problem with Christianity, but I'm too busy with life to fit in anything else. That's just a, a few examples of this kind of response. There's no problem with Christianity, but it's just not for me. Now we've we've said that we'll give a Christian response to the top three problems that people have with Christianity. But this one's a bit tricky to respond to in a way. I mean, what can a, a Christian Say in response to this? Well, to start with, I think one response is just for us Christians to say thank you. Because I think this answer shows that our friends, um, that, that we, first of all, have got polite friends uh, who are being nice to us. People who've answered this way are saying that they like Christianity and Christians, or at least that they don't dislike us. And that's nice. So, a right response to start with is just to say thanks. And the truth is that there's a lot in Christianity to like. Christianity has led to all sorts of good in our society. Um, Most of us, Christians included, don't even know the full picture of just how important Christianity has been to the starting of hospitals, schools and universities. Christianity, following the lead of um, the politician William Wilberforce, helped get rid of slavery Even way, way back in history, a non-Christian emperor called Julian complained about Christians and this is what he said, it's disgraceful that the impious Galileans, as Christians, support not only their own poor but ours as well. And we heard read before something from even further back in history, we heard Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount. Now, a lot of people, not just Christians, love the Sermon on the Mount. Mahatma Gandhi loved the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, what's not to love about some of the things that we heard? Judge not, lest you too be judged. What's not to love about what Jesus said at the end of that reading? It's up here on the screen. In everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. Many people have built their life around this teaching. I can almost hear my mum's voice saying to me, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, usually as i had done something unto my sister that apparently I didn't want her to do back. There's a lot to like about Christianity. But a Christian response to this answer, that there's no problem with Christianity, but it's just not for me, can't stop at saying thank you. And that's because of what Jesus goes on to say in the very next sentence In the Sermon on the Mount. i got it up here on the screen for you. Because what Jesus says is not just likeable stuff, Jesus says that what he's on about is enormously important. In fact in his eyes it's even more important than a matter of life and death. Look with me at the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. In other words, Jesus is saying that Christianity is not like a university club stay. It's not like me walking past underwater hockey and thinking, that's just not for me. Because underwater hockey is an optional extra, it doesn't really matter if, if you take it. Or leave it but Jesus doesn't see what he's on about as an optional extra he sees it as a matter of choosing one of two completely different roads one that leads to destruction or one that leads to life and he says asking yourself which road you're on is the most important question you will ever answer According to Jesus, there is no third or fourth option. There's not even a kind of middle option. There's just two completely different roads. Different in how they look and different in where they end. And what I reckon is scary about what Jesus says, is that he said one of these ways is the default. It's broad. It's easy. It just makes sense to follow it. It doesn't take any thought. We're all on it until we choose to get off it. And Jesus says it leads to destruction. In 2005, um, David Foster Wallace gave a speech at a graduation. And he's not a religious man at all. But listen to what he said just a couple of years before he tragically committed suicide. He said, everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you'll never have enough, never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing... You will die a million deaths before they finally plant you. Worship power and you'll end up feeling weak and afraid and you will need ever more power over others to numb you to your own fear. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, you'll end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. And I reckon this next bit is the truly scary thing about what he said. Look, The insidious thing about these forms of worship is not that they are evil or sinful, it is that they're unconscious. They are default settings. The human default, he says, is to worship something, something that will eat us alive. Now, Jesus takes it even further than David Foster Wallace. And he says that our default is not just to worship something that will do us harm in this life. He says our default is to coast on a path that ends in destruction. And what he means by this is that we'll coast on a path that ends with us being separated from God forever. Now, at this point, we might be wondering, why does Jesus say this road leads there? Why isn't it enough for God that I'm a good person? Now, I'm a dad and I've got four kids. And I want them to be good people. I want them to do well at school, to get on really well with other people. But I can tell you that it's not enough for me for them to do great at school, for them to be really kind to other people, to keep their room tidy. It's not enough for me for them just to be amazing kids, but not be interested in me. If they never spoke to me, never made eye contact with me never wanted anything to do with me didn't even want to know me to me that would be a tragedy we might be good people but if we're not giving God the central place that he wants in our lives then that's not enough for God without him at the absolute center of our lives we're walking down a road that takes us further away from him and will eventually lead to us being completely cut off from him And we're doing it to ourselves. To cut ourselves off from God is, in the end, to cut ourselves off from the source of good. And that's what Jesus calls destruction. That's not particularly likable. Most people don't like this about Christianity. Personally, when, when I think about it, I don't like it. But it doesn't matter what I think about it. It matters if it's true. Because if it's true, it's of complete importance. Because of what Jesus says here and in other places, a Christian response must be, I know you say it's not for you, and I'll respect that, but please, please think again, because this is enormously important stuff. This is not about what we do and don't like. This is about life and destruction. Now, at this point, you might feel a bit ripped off. You know, I give a polite answer and say there's no problem with Christianity. And in response, my friend says to me, thanks, but actually there is a problem. And it's a problem between you and God. Now, I totally get that feeling. But it's like an atheist called Penn Gillette says, a magician, actually. He says... I've always said that I don't respect people who don't proselytize, tell people about Jesus. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life and you think that it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward, how much do you have to hate somebody to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? Now, I get that this is not particularly likable about Christianity, but is Jesus right? What if he is? Don't brush this aside lightly. Jesus wants everyone who hears him to walk away knowing that this is incredibly important stuff. But he wants more than that. He wants them to change roads, to get on the road that leads to life, the road that leads to God. But he says that the way to get on this road is incredibly narrow. Look again at the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. Jesus says that the one way to life is through the narrow gate. And he's talking about himself here. Now some people think this sounds incredibly narrow-minded. And again, I can totally understand why it sounds that way. If I'm saying that the only way to escape destruction is is through Jesus, then I'm saying that every person who's not a follower of Jesus is not on the road that leads to life. And that sounds incredibly narrow-minded. But actually... I'm not sure we've grasped just how narrow Jesus says it is. Because Jesus says we escape destruction not by calling ourselves Christians, not by believing certain things, not even by doing certain things. All of that is useless to save us from destruction. The way is even more narrow than that. Because Jesus says the way we escape destruction is by Jesus being destroyed in our place. The way to life is so narrow that it took Jesus taking our place, taking our destruction. It took God to become human, to stand in for me and take the hell that I deserve into Himself. That's narrow. The absolutely amazing thing is that there is a way that leads to life at all, that God would go through hell to save us from it. Why? What kind of love is this that would drive God to take such costly interest in people who don't take much interest in him? The way to life is narrow, but it's not narrow-minded. If there's one exit out of a burning building, it's... Not narrow-minded to take it. Now maybe today you came thinking, I don't have a problem with Christianity. But after hearing me for a bit, I've sort of managed to change your mind about that. Now in one way, even if that were the case, that's, that's not a completely bad thing in my mind. I would way prefer that you understand exactly what Jesus says and reject it. Than to have no problem with Christianity but not really know that Jesus is on about this stuff. What he says is just too important to miss. Now I said before that asking yourself which road you're on is the most important question that you'll ever answer. I also said that Jesus wants us to change roads, to come to him, the narrow gate, and through coming to him to start a journey that will end in life. Maybe you're ready to do that. Maybe you're not though. Maybe you're not even close to that point. But perhaps you're ready to ask the bigger questions in life. You might not have liked what I've said today, but maybe you can see that it's important stuff. The default is just to get on with coasting, ignoring the bigger questions. But before you look past the road to life that Jesus says he can give us, Are you willing to explore if there's anything to it? But maybe you're ready to change roads now. You don't have a problem with Jesus. You've just never got around to getting off the old road and coming to him. I'm going to give you a chance to do that if you want to, just by talking to God in prayer. This is what I'm going to pray up on the screen. God, I've lived as though life is all about me and not all about you. I've taken the road which leads away from you and ends in destruction. Forgive me. I want to take the other road. I realize just how narrow the road to life is. So narrow that you gave your son for me. Keep me on this hard road always. Bring me safe to life with you. Now, if you want to change roads, pray silently with me to God in your heart. Let's pray. God, I've lived as though life is all about me and not all about you. I've taken the road which leads away from you and ends in destruction. Forgive me. I want to take the other road. I realize just how narrow the road to life is. So narrow that you gave your son for me. Keep me on this hard road always. Bring me safe to life with you. Amen.